So I want to talk today, uh, it's, I didn't plan this, there is a new member class going on as we speak, but uh, I'm going to talk on why join the church. Why join the church? We live in a culture that is often afraid of commitment. And so we see a lot of young couples who figure, well, why get married? You know, why not just live together for a while, we'll see if it works out, and maybe if it does, eventually we'll make that long-term commitment. And I think in a similar way, many Christians think, well, why join a church? I mean, just attend for a while, feel it out, if it, it you know, if it grabs you, uh, maybe eventually, but what's the point of joining a church? And there are some churches, such as the very popular and widespread Calvary Chapel movement, that don't even have membership. You could say, I'd like to join. They say, show up. If you attend, you're a member. Of course, the members don't do anything in terms of making decisions or uh, having any input. The elders and the pastor do that, especially in that system, the pastor. Uh, I was... Uh, Calvary Chapel near me in California one time, the pastor fired all ten of his elders and picked ten new ones. That was his prerogative to do that. At the time I was having some trouble with my elders, I thought, I like that. I, that sounds like a good thing, you know. But I'm only kidding. No, not really. But, uh, you know, in those churches there's no membership. Now, of course, attending those churches doesn't require really any commitment to saying, I agree with the doctrine of that church. I submit myself to the uh, discipline of that church, any of that sort of thing. In addition to just the general malaise of our country where we are afraid of commitments, we have the situation where a lot of people, I'm sure some of you, have been burned by a church. You joined, you got involved, uh, you were serving And somebody kind of knifed you in the back. They spoke behind your back. They ran you down unfairly. They spread false rumors, whatever. And you were really hurt by that experience. Or maybe you were involved in a church where you you trusted the pastor only to find out that the man was living a double life. He was having an affair or something. and, And it really caused a lot of conflict and unpleasant experience in that church and you just said, you know, I think I'll just kind of sit on the fringe. Uh, Getting involved is just too painful and so you pulled back. And there are a lot of people who they do have a personal relationship with Jesus but they're just afraid of committing to a church because they've, they've gotten burned. And And to be honest, many of them want to keep their weekends open. You know, they don't want to be tied down. If something comes up, they want to be free to go. So they don't want to commit to anything that's going to tie them down on the weekend. I think all of these factors feed another current trend. And this is especially true with the younger set, the millennial generation, where many of them are now having church in the home. And when you talk to them about it, well, they, they like the sense of community they get from just being really uh, close with a few. 
they don't like the idea of pouring money into buildings and, and uh, paying a church staff and budgets and all of that. They really despise these mega churches with their huge parking lots and parking lot attendance and, and all the canned programs. And then the worship is kind of like a professional concert up front with the lights and the bands and the, all of the stuff going on. And they don't like the idea of a pastor telling them how they should live their Christian life. They figure, well, he's probably a hypocrite like all those other people we encountered when we were in the church. And so they're very content to just drop out. And uh, if they decide they need a sermon, there's plenty of them online. And meanwhile, they gather occasionally with their friends and in their home, and they call that church. Now, in this message, I'm going to try to counter all of that and argue rather that to be an obedient Christian... You have to go beyond church attendance to being a committed and serving member of a local church. And I want to answer four questions this morning. The first one is, uh, is church membership even biblical? Uh, That's a question that often comes up. Where is that in the Bible? Uh, Secondly, why should you join a local church? And then thirdly, well, whom should the church accept into membership? And fourthly, what does church membership entail? First of all, I want to look at this question. Is church membership a biblical concept? Um, You may recall back to the first message I did in this series in early April, uh, and I offered this definition of the local church. The local church is a gathering of those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that's the core commitment, who are committed to meet regularly for worship, teaching, fellowship, and prayer, got that out of Acts 2.42, and who help make disciples of all people. That's the great, great commission that Jesus gave us. And so the key word in that definition is that word committed. They are committed Uh, to meet regularly, to gather together, to make disciples. It's a a mutual commitment to the Lord, but also to one another. And so I'm going to argue that the picture of being committed to a local gathering of believers in Jesus Christ, where you can serve the Lord, where you can be actively involved in the lives of others that you know, uh, is a New Testament concept. And I'm arguing that that idea of commitment is the key uh, idea in church membership. In Ephesians 4, um, Paul paints an extended picture of the church, but just picking out two verses, 15 and 16, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom, now notice the emphasis And these next phrases on everyone. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so Paul is saying that just as there is no useless 
passive part of your body, and I understand now they even say your appendix serves a function. They used to say it was useless, but it does serve a function. Uh, there's no part of your body, I venture to say, you volunteer to say, I'll get rid of that part. Uh, you'd like it all intact and working, thank you. Even so, the body of Christ, that there is no useless member. Every member has been given a gift, has a function to engage in for the overall growth, health, and strength of the body. Now, you may still wonder, well, then why don't we find church membership mentioned uh, explicitly, specifically in the New Testament? I believe that you don't because in the New Testament, there was only one church per city. Ephesus, Corinth, Rome, Jerusalem, wherever you were, if you were in that city and were a Christian, you were a part of the church in that city. And it would be wonderful if we could recover that in our day. I don't think we can, but as you know, here in North America, you can go in almost any city and there are dozens of different churches. Uh, And if you float between churches here, there, and everywhere, uh, I think you're lacking that key ingredient of commitment that I mentioned to a particular people, a particular group of people who are laboring together to um, build the body of Christ and also of submission to a particular group of elders who are supposed to be shepherding that church who give an account um, to the Lord. Many years ago in California, I was at a gathering. can't remember what, why we were, we were getting together, but there were Christians from a number of churches that we were having a meeting, and we were going around the room uh, introducing ourselves and saying which church we represented, and we came to one woman who was on the staff of a large evangelical ministry, and uh, this isn't her real name, but she said something like, Uh, Hi, I'm Linda Jones, and I'm a Christian at large. And I'd never heard that phrase, a Christian at large, really. You know, she just kind of flitted and floated around. And I thought to myself, uh, that means you're accountable to no one. Nobody has charge over you in the Lord to shepherd you, to care about your soul. You just kind of go willy-nilly wherever you want. I didn't say that, of course, but I thought that. You know, there are many New Testament texts that either infer or state that local churches in that day knew exactly who their members were. For example, in Matthew 18:17, Jesus is explaining the process of church discipline. And he says, if, if he, that is the one that you're trying to correct, if he refuses to listen to them, then he says, tell it, to the church. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you a Gentile and tax gatherer. So it's pretty obvious if you're going to tell it to the church, you need to know who the church consists of. You call them together and tell them about this sinning member. In a similar context of church discipline, the Apostle Paul commanded the Corinthians to expel a sinning member. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13, For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? 
do you not judge those who are within the church? The question begs a positive answer. Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Uh, In a similar note, the Apostle John in 1 John 2.19 says of some false teachers, they went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would not, or they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. It's pretty obvious there. Everyone knew who us is and who them they were. And these false teachers had gone out from the church uh, and spread their false teaching. In the context of giving instructions about the Lord's Supper, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11:18 said, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. So that statement again implies there was a defined group. They came together as the church, and sadly they were having some ungodly divisions among them. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we read that Paul and Barnabas met with the church and taught considerable numbers. Uh, in Acts 12:1, Herod laid hands on some belonging to the church. They were members of the church in order to mistreat them. In Acts 12:5, after Herod had arrested Peter, uh, he was intending to execute him. It says prayer was being made for him fervently by the church. In Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for every church, a locally defined body. They had founded those on their first missionary journey, and those elders were responsible to give oversight to those particular churches, so it's obvious they knew who their members were. Then, after the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch, and it says, In Acts 14.27, they gathered the church together to report how the Lord had used them in that uh, first missionary journey, in that endeavor. In Acts chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, Paul is painting a picture there of the church as a holy temple that is growing in the Lord. And in verse 22, he says, being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, if you're going to build a building, you know, you don't do it with a few disconnected independent bricks and, and pieces of timber here and there. You, you gather together the materials you need and you build with those specific materials to build that structure. And so the idea, again, is there were specific members being built together into this dwelling of God. And then in Ephesians 4.25 Paul commands us to speak truth, each one of us with our neighbor, he adds, because we are members of one another. Now, that's true, of course, of Christians universally, but especially it applies to those in a local church being built together in the Lord. Um, In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul commands the elders in Ephesus to shepherd the church of God. Now, you can only shepherd 
those whom are who are part of your flock. You know, if you say, I don't know who they are, whether they come and go or what their deal is, you can't shepherd them. You've got to have a specific group. Peter implies the same thing in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3 when he tells the elders to shepherd the flock of God. And then he adds, which is allotted to your charge. God has allotted certain people to the charge, to the responsibility of those elders to shepherd. And in line with that, Hebrews 13:17 says to the church, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so that's a haunting verse for all elders, but there there are those for whom we will give an account in the Lord. And if you're going to do that, you need to know who they are. So in order to fulfill the responsibilities both of elders and members, there needs to be that cohesive commitment, that unit that says this is the church. These are the members of the church, and they are committed to meet regularly, as I said, for worship, uh, for teaching, worship, fellowship, and prayer, and they are committed to one another and to the Lord to help further his cause. The second question I want to try to answer then is, well, why should you join a local church? Uh, Going back to my second message in this series, I cited the late Anglican pastor John Stott who said this, if the church is central to God's purpose as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center. And that centrality of the church to God's purpose, I think should be reason enough for you to commit yourself to a local church. But I want to give you five specific reasons why you should join a local church. First of all, you should join a local church because Christ loves the church and he gave himself for her And that means if you love Christ, then you must love his church and commit yourself to her well-being. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul commands, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He goes on to talk about how Christ's aim for the church is to sanctify her to Uh, present her to himself in all her glory without spot or wrinkle so that the church would be like a beautiful bride, as beautiful as she possibly could be. And then he goes on and he tells husbands, in the same way you need to nourish and cherish your wife. As a member of your own body, you're to take care of her, to care for her well-being and so on. And as you read that passage from Ephesians 5, 25, Uh, or even starting at verse 22 down to verse 32 or 33, you would swear that what Paul is talking about there is Christian marriage. That seems to be the theme. 
Christian marriage. He goes on to talk about parenting, and so it follows. You go, yeah, yeah, he's talking about marriage. And then he adds a surprising comment. In Ephesians 5.32, he says, This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And you read that and you go, really? I thought he was talking about marriage. He says, no, no, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Marriage is to be a picture of what Christ and the church is all about. And just as you commit to your marriage partner, you are to be committed to a local body of Christians where you can be committed to making that church as beautiful as it can be in the Lord's purpose. And so we as a church are like the bride, Christ is the bridegroom. I've told you before that a main reason that I am a pastor today is that many, many years ago, the Lord impressed Ephesians 5.25 on my heart. Um, And I just thought to myself, you know, if Christ loves the church and he gave himself for her and and I love Christ, then I've got to love his bride. I've got to love the church and give myself for her. And so I want to make give my life to make the church be all that it can possibly be, realizing it'll never be perfect, but I want to commit to make the church be the beautiful bride Christ intends. Now, not everyone, of course, should apply that verse to yourself in the same way, and everyone become a pastor. It depends partly on your spiritual gifts. But the point I'm making is this. God has given you a spiritual gift. It may not be pastor-teacher, but it's something. Every member has a gift. And every member is to employ that gift to help the church become all that Christ wants the church to be. And if Christ loved the church enough to die for her, then every believer who loves Christ should love his church and be committed to that church to help it become uh, all that God wants it to be. A second reason you should join a local church is because the church is where you learn practically to love God and love others, which are the two greatest commandments. You, You can't be a Christian at large any more than you can say, yeah, I'm married at large. You know, I kind of float between wives. I got one in Las Vegas and one in San Francisco, one over here, and whenever I'm in town, I, I, you know, drop in on them. Now, I'm not suggesting, of course, that you're to marry a local church with the same lifelong commitment that I took when I married my wife of vowing, you know, to stay with her till death do us part. But I am saying that there is a unique commitment there that does have a carryover to the the local church. Um, The fact is, if you're not committed in your marriage, you won't work through trouble. And I guarantee you, every marriage has trouble from time to time. We're all different. We all are fallen. We all don't understand things. So there's communication misses and gaps and conflicts. And commitment is the glue that holds you together to say, we're, we're in this together. We're going to work through it. I'm on your side and hope you're on my side. Now let's sit down and figure out what's wrong and work through it. 
And that's why living together never works. You know, if you say, well, we're together as long as we both show love, okay, you'll break up. You have to say we're together as long as we both shall live. And love grows as you work through those things. And sometimes God uses the conflicts to sand off the rough edges in your character. And what I'm saying is this. If you just casually date the church, or maybe you move in, but you're not married. You're just sort of living together with it. As long as things go well, we'll hang together you'll be floating from church to church to church to church because there will be conflict. It's just going to happen. If you're committed and say, look, unless this church is in heresy, uh, I'm committed here, I'm going to work through this, then you both will grow through those kinds of relational difficulties. Otherwise, you'll bail out, and I guarantee you difficulties will come. You'll bail out. Take the other analogy. The church is not just the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. You know, my hand could say, I am sick and tired of being joined to this arm. Every time the arm does something, i got to do it too. You know, I can't get away from the dumb thing. And I am really fed up with that arm telling me what to do. I've got to go where it goes, do what it does, and all of that, whack, and I cut off my hand. Well, that's not going to work, is it? The hand only does well when it's joined to the arm and the arm to my shoulder and, you know, to the body and all of that. And the point is, you're not going to be able to serve the Lord effectively if you aren't joined to the body, if you're not committed to the body of Christ. First John 4.20, John is a very blunt, pointed apostle. And he says this, If someone says... I love God, and he hates his brother. He's a liar. John doesn't beat around the bush. He's a liar. And then he explains, For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So it's in being committed to a local body of people that you can see that you learn to love God whom you cannot see. It's in that context. A third reason you should join a local church is because you need to place yourself under spiritual shepherds who will care for you, who will give an account for your soul, as we've seen already in Hebrews 13. Uh, Jonathan Lehman has a book out called, he's part of the Nine Marks guys um, with Mark Dever. He has a book called Church Membership. And he argues in that book that we need a paradigm shift regarding the local church. He says the church isn't a club or a voluntary organization where membership is optional if the club provides what you're looking for. And the church isn't just a group of people who get together and talk about religious ideas. He says it's not a service provided where the customer has all the authority, but rather, he says, because Jesus is the sovereign king over his church, He says, Christians don't join churches, they submit to them. That's a radical concept. You don't join a church, you submit to it. And we already saw from Hebrews 13, 17 that uh, the Lord, through that author, inspired author, commands Christians to submit to their spiritual leaders who will give an account for their souls. Now, 
That doesn't absolve individual Christians from living before the Lord, growing in holiness, and it doesn't imply blind submission to abusive leaders. If there are leaders who are fleecing the flock or who are lording it over the flock or, you know, we've all heard those horror stories. No, it doesn't mean just, okay, I submit. Uh, there is a point for resisting that kind of sin. But what Lehman is getting at that I think is correct is joining a church is different than joining a local service club. You can join, you can resign. If the club's doing what you want it to do for you, fine, you, you stay with it. No, it's different. You're submitting to the shepherds of the church. They are in submission to the Lord with a very frightening responsibility of giving an account for the souls allotted to their charge. And so that's another reason to submit to a local church to join it. A fourth reason you should join a local church is because it's the means that Jesus ordained to fulfill his great commission. Uh, There are many parachurch organizations and missions, and those are doing a fine work in most cases, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be doing that, but every parachurch group or mission organization I know of agrees that their mission is to found local churches to fulfill the Great Commission because that is the way the Lord ordained. And so they are committed to planting churches, raising up leaders, to preach the word, to make disciples. Uh, Paul wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.27 and said, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you, or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the job of the local church. And so if we want to fulfill the Great Commission, we have to be committed to a local church. And then a fifth reason you should join a local church is so that you have a specific place to serve the Lord. I think too many people in our day view attending a church kind of like going to a restaurant. You you go to the restaurant to get a good meal. If you don't like that restaurant, well, let's try the other one over here. And so you go, you get your meal, you go home, and it served its purpose. And a lot of people view the church that way. Well, I need some spiritual food. I usually get fed at FCF. I'll show up. Ah, Stephen doing so good a job anymore. I think I'll go over to this other church and get some food. And you float around like you're going to a different restaurant. That's not the New Testament concept of the church. As I said, God has given you a spiritual gift. And you're to use it in serving him. 1 Peter 4.10 As each one, notice, each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That word steward means you're a manager of what God has entrusted to you. It's like he gave you a business, he's the owner, you're the manager. You're going to have to give an account to him for how you use it. Remember the parable of the talents? Now you have to understand in the parable, a talent wasn't the ability to play the trombone or something. A talent was a unit of money. 
Okay, so in the parable, the master entrusts some money to different stewards. 10,000 to one, 5,000 to another, 1,000 to another, that kind of thing. In the parable, who was the one who buried the talent? The guy that got one, remember? The guy that had ten, he made ten more. The guy that had five made five more. The guy that had one, he said, here's, here's your one back, master. I buried it. I knew you're kind of an exacting man. I didn't want to lose it. And he gets reamed out by the master. And here, I think, is one point of that parable is this. If you see yourself as a one-talent person, you're more likely to bury your gift and not use it. You go, oh, I can't preach like Steve. I can't evangelize, you know. I'm not a gifted evangelist. So I'll just show up and go home. And you bury your talent. Now, we all have differing gifts. But the point is, whatever God's given you to do, figure out what it is and commit yourself to a local church and start doing it. Because the body is only going to be healthy when every member is contributing their respective gifts and parts. Now briefly, let me touch on whom should the church accept into membership. Uh, this, the answer to that is more controversial than you might think. I believe that the church should accept all whom Christ has accepted through salvation. I think we should accept all whom Christ has accepted. Who am I to say, yeah, you're saved, but get out of here. You know, if someone is saved, to me, they're a member of the body of Christ, and if they want to join with us, we have to accept them. Now, many churches are narrower than that. If you don't agree with them on what I would call secondary level doctrines, then you can't join that church. And we faced that dilemma a number of years ago here. Uh, And so we modified the Constitution to make a way that people who disagree with us on some of the secondary things, not the essentials, but the secondary things, uh, have a way of joining this church. I'm talking about issues like baptism, which I'm going to speak on, Lord willing, Next week, uh, prophecy, charismatic gifts, some of those areas. We may not agree, but they are free to join with us as long as, first of all, they don't teach those views trying to cause a, create a faction and undermine the elders. And to be an elder in this church, you have to agree with our views, uh, our baptistic views on baptism. Um, It's difficult to navigate those waters, but that's our best attempt so far at how to be inclusive of all and yet still uh, teach the things that we believe Scripture teaches on some of those secondary matters. The last question I want to deal with this morning is what does church membership entail? And uh, there is a lot I could cover here. Mark Dever in his book on the church has Uh, five pages at least. Uh, His associate, Jonathan Lehman, offers in his book what he calls a clunky definition of church membership. He says, church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation 
and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. That's pretty comprehensive. In other words, has everything to do with your entire Christian life uh, that membership involves. But I'm going to just narrow it down here and comment very briefly on six things. First of all, membership is a commitment to seek to live by the church's covenant. You say, what's that? Some of you maybe are members and you're saying, what's that? Well, reread the Constitution and it's in there. Uh, We have a church covenant and I made some copies that are at the uh, exits or you can access it on the church website by going to what we believe and it's under that uh, drop down list there. And none of us are going to obey this thing perfectly. I understand that. It's it's um, what we're striving for. We agree to all strive to live by this covenant to grow in Christ. And you can read that over for yourself. A second thing, membership is a commitment to participate regularly in the church's gatherings for worship, teaching, uh, fellowship, I should have probably added, and prayer. Um, Hebrews 10.25 exhorts us, not forsaking uh, our own assembling, as is the habit of some. Maybe they had some way back then who were dropping out. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, Sunday morning, as you know, is our main time to gather uh, for teaching and worship and fellowship and prayer, but also beyond that, I think we need to meet in smaller group settings for uh, especially fellowship and prayer during the week. And don't neglect church socials, by the way. Whenever we have a, a church meal, it's a great time just to get to know people you don't know. And you say, well, I'm kind of shy. Okay, well... How are you going to get to know people if you don't hang out with them and start talking to them? And once the ice is broken, you'll find out they don't bite. Uh, Most of them are pretty nice. We may have a few mean ones. But for the most part, you'll, you'll be enriched, and hopefully you can enrich them. Uh, Thirdly, membership is a commitment to believe in and uphold the church's doctrine and practices including church discipline whenever necessary. I'm going to have a message later on that difficult subject of church discipline. Um, As I mentioned, in some areas where godly people differ, we allow for differing viewpoints, but all of us are committed to agreeing together on the essentials of the faith, as I have often emphasized. A fourth thing, membership is a commitment to the church's members to give and receive loving service and to help one another grow in Christ. And as we saw from Ephesians 4, the church is only healthy when every member contributes um, and uses his or her gifts both to reach the lost and to disciple the saved. And so um, it's that kind of thing. And by the way, just as an offhand Receiving service is sometimes more difficult than giving it, isn't it? You know, but we need to be willing to receive as well as to give. If somebody 
you know, comes alongside you and offers to help you in some way, be willing to say, hey, thank you, and receive that service. And, yeah, you can reciprocate maybe at some time. A fifth thing, membership is a commitment to follow the church's leadership as they seek to help you grow in Christ. And as I said, this is not blind submission to abusive leaders. Uh, It is submission to imperfect men. And there's the rub. (laughs) The elders are not perfect. We are growing, hopefully, in Christ, seeking to follow him uh, and uh, be faithful shepherds of the flock. So you have to commit to imperfect men. If we're wrong, please talk to us. Don't yell at us. Talk to us, and we'll see to try to correct it and improve and grow, but vice versa. We need to be free to help you. That's the way we all grow in Christ. And then finally, membership is a commitment to help support the the church with your finances as the Lord prospers you. And I'm going to devote a message to finances later in this series. Um, Last year I had this encounter with this self-appointed street preacher who somehow found me on the website. And uh, he told me that I wasn't saved because I get a salary for preaching. And I said, really? You know, it seemed to me that the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.14... So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And you go to 1 Timothy 5, and Paul there says the elders who work hard at preaching and teaching should be worthy of double honor. And in the context, honor is speaking about support. The church also should support missionaries who go out for the sake of the gospel. And as I said, I'm going to give a whole message to that subject later in the series. If you haven't read it, uh, Josh Harris has a wonderful little book called Stop Dating the Church. And it's a good analogy, isn't it? Uh, I fear some of you may just be dating the church. You've not gotten married yet. And you're kind of hanging out. But I'm arguing today that to be an obedient Christian, you have to go beyond just attending the church casually dating it, and you need to become a committed serving member. If you need help figuring out what is it God's given you to do, talk to one of the the pastors or elders, and we'd try to help you on that. But since Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, if we love Christ, then it seems to me that has to be our commitment as well. Lord, I love you. You love your church. I need to love your church and give myself whatever gifts he's given me to serve Christ and his church. Let's bow together. Everything I've said this morning is predicated on the fact that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've not done that, you can't serve in the church rightly. The Bible says that first we have to receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life that is made available to us by the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. He bore the penalty we deserve. And we can't get right with God by working for it, by serving the church, by doing anything 
except coming as a guilty sinner to the cross and receiving what Jesus did for us there. He died in our place, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God and reconcile us to God. The Bible says that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And I don't want you to think you're going to get points with God by serving Him. You only can come and receive His free gift. In your heart, you can just say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned against You and I need Your forgiveness. And I understand that Jesus died in my place and I receive Him as my Savior and I will follow Him as my Lord. Dear Father, I pray that You would strengthen Your church here, that we all would walk with You love you, serve you out of a heart of gratitude and that this church would be an honor and glory to the name of Jesus in this city. I pray in his name. Amen.